2 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, and the 4th verse. We want to say hello to our podcast audience, uh, congregation. There are several uh, during the week that will, that will tap in to hear what's going on today. We want to bless them and speak a blessing over them. The thought or the theme this morning, just for a few minutes, and obviously I am an ex-California surfer, so my, my, my vernacular sometimes shows my roots and my heritage. But the title of our message today is this. Look at someone and say, dude, do that. Get your mind right. Get your mind right. Look, do it again with me. Dude, or do that. Get your mind right. Thirty-one years ago, tonight, I went to a church much like this one, full-blown Pentecostal service, horrifically sprung out on crack cocaine, addicted to Marlboro wine coolers, hash, opiate, and went to that service that night because I thought Pastor Ronna was going to be there. She had left about six weeks earlier. We'd been separated. She'd been staying with the family in the church, and we'd been connecting by phone. Her mom came out from Tennessee to uh, assist, her, assist her moving, but I thought she was going to be there, so that's why I went. It was a service much like the one we had this morning, and in the service there was a message in tongues, and there was interpretation from the Lord that said, if you're here and you don't know me, now is the time to make things right. The pastor gave an altar call. Three or four went down the altars. And then there was another message in tongues, a little bit more intense, more, more on the flow of, I've called, you've refused, I've stretched out my hand. If you don't come, if you don't come now, you're, the door's going to close, something like that. Well, several went, even choir members, went down to that particular uh, altar ministry. And uh, I'm sitting back in the far section. And the last time, last message in tongues, it was one of those messages like, if you don't get your hiney down here, you're going to crash or burn, go to hell with your back broke. I mean, just a real, well, uh, even staff responded to that one. Staff went down. And I was sitting back, back there, and I, was, and I was hardened. And, of course, the night before, I had mixed peyote with opiate and with uh, crack cocaine. That was the night that I hallucinated. People started melting in front of me. So I really was kind of hungover, wasn't really... Uh, ready to, to give anything to God at that particular moment. But a little gray-haired grandma, probably about 88, walked over to where I was, put her hand on my shoulder, got down my face, and said, Hank, do you want to go to the altar with me and pray? I, I shook my head no, but out of my mouth came the words yes. And she got a little skinny arm and took me by the hand, and I went to a section of the altar where no one else was praying, and there I made a statement to God. I said, God, if you're really, if you're really real, if you're really there, if you really want to be a part of my life, be real to me now. There wasn't any electrical spark or flashes of light. Something happened that day. See, I served the God of my parents. When you're a child, you go to the church your, your parents want to go to. You sing the songs your parents want you to sing. You go to Sunday school classes your parents instruct you to go to. And so you grow up knowing your parents' God. And, you, and, you, and that's how you respond to the things of God. But there will come a time when you will establish your own relationship with God and it will belong to you. And that night there was a, an assurance, there was a certainty that God had made himself real. I walked out into the parking lot and lo and behold, the company vehicle that I had leased had been repossessed. So I proceeded to walk home about three miles and a hard pack of Marlboro, and I remember taking the hard pack out. And I wasn't smoking, but I was lighting three packs of cigarettes. I was lighting 60 cigarettes a day. It's a miracle I didn't burn the house down. I'd, I'd light a cigarette and lay it down and forget about it and light another one. I know, I know you speed freaks can relate to that. But uh, I walked out. I took, a, I took a cigarette out of the pack. I lit one up, and I said, My body is now the temple of the Holy Spirit, and I don't need this anymore. And I threw, the, I threw the cigarettes, I littered, I threw the cigarettes in the gutter and never touched another cigarette. Went through absolutely no withdrawal, no, no nothing. By the time I got home, I had a big glass table, a beautiful, we paid several hundred dollars for a piece of petrified wood. 
And on that glass table for the past three weeks had been a quarter ounce of cocaine just dumped on the table. My friends would come over and they would snort or they would shoot or they would smoke, whatever they wanted to do. And there was about five or six guys there in the living room and they were doing coke, smoking hash. I walked the living room and I said, guys, I've just given my heart to God and I don't want any more drugs in my house. Well, then I walked into every single room of the house. I was raised Pentecostal where you plead the blood of Jesus. Where's, where's my pleaders? You plead the blood. Of, since then, I'm, I'm, now, I'm now charismatic. And I learned you apply the blood. But in those, in those days, we pled the blood. I pled the blood over the bedroom that I was sleeping with the lights on, with the loaded pistol. I went into every single room of that house, the garage. When I got back to the living room, those guys were gone. All my coke was gone. All my hash pipes were gone. All of my roach clips was gone. All of my marijuana, all my Playboy, all my penthouse, all the wine was out of the refrigerator. They even took my blender. <laughs> they realized I was serious. That was 31 years ago tonight. From that time, I never touched one drug, never had gone through any withdrawal, any hurt, any pain. And I thank God for that. That is a testimony. It's not the greatest testimony. The greatest testimony one could have is the testimony of our kids. I've never smoked pot. I've never drank beer. I was a virgin on my wedding night. How powerful of a testimony is that? But thank God that he uses us in dark times. He's always that light in a dark place. And no matter how deep you find yourself in sin or in bondage, or depression or fear he has the ability to come to where you are and lift you up to where he is he's not afraid to get in the gutter with you he's not afraid to get stuff on his hands he's not afraid to get dirty he shed his blood he will go he will do whatever it takes to get your attention and draw you back to him my challenge of being 20 I was I was uh, 20 26 years of age when I committed my heart to the Lord my challenge that for seven or eight years outside my parents home in college and all the things of the world as a contractor, I had got a lot of the world stuff on me. You know, you can, you can not smoke, but go into a Waffle House and come out smelling like smoke. And uh, there was a, there was a lot, of, lot of the world in me. There was a lot of thoughts of the world, attitudes of the world. And for, for a season, I disqualified myself from everything that I thought God wanted for me because I was divorced. And you've got to remember, 26 years ago, divorce was a stigma in any denomination there are denominations today that will not they will not license you if you're divorced there are denominations that teach that if you're divorced you cannot remarry but there's a lot of stuff out there and i was told as a divorced evangelist when i started evangelizing i was told that if i ever remarried my license would be taken from me so i did not license with that denomination but found a group of a fellowship of ministers that accepted me just the way i was and i began to go into ministry and I remember one of the first things that I did in ministry was that I began to memorize and commit to memory scripture. In the first two years of evangelism, I committed over 3,000 scriptures to memory that I could quote, not just chapters, but verse, chapter and verse, so that I could, I could pull out just one verse if I wanted instead of quoting the whole chapter. And I learned that the more scripture I got in me, the more that I begin to think the Word of God and speak the Word of God and quote the Word of God and memorize the Word of God, the more I begin to see things in my personal life change. And now today, as we shared Thursday at the NA, uh, my, name, my name is Hank. I'm not a drug addict. I'm not an alcoholic. But I'm accepted in the Beloved. I'm a bride of Christ. I am the chosen. I am a doer of the word. I am the elect. I am the faithful. I am, I am one that's been called out of darkness. A new name has been written down in glory. And all that God's word says that is, that is for me is mine. All God says he has for me, I'm going to take because I am a younger son. And if my dad owns everything, I want a chunk of it. Can anybody relate? If my dad is who he says he is, then I want my inheritance. I want what God has for me. When the prodigal went to the dad and said, I want my inheritance, notice the dad gave it. I think sometimes we have not because we ask not. In 2 Corinthians 10 and 4, the, the first, verse 3 says this, Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war. Do we have that, guys? We do not war in the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty. Look at someone and say mighty. 
through God to the pulling down of strongholds. The next verse. Casting down, look at some say casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the kingdom, knowledge of God, and bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. The thought or theme today as we look at this is simply entitled, It's Time to Get Your Mind Right. I got a quote I want to share from Robert Allen. Does anybody know who Robert Allen is? Anybody? Wrote the book, The One Minute Millionaire. Incredible book. You need to get it in your repertoire of reading material. But here's what Robert Allen has to say. Everything you want is just outside your comfort zone. Everything you want is just outside your comfort zone. And your comfort zone is a self-made prison where you are comfortable with what you have. There's a, there's a place in God that when you begin to read and begin to hear and begin to hear testimonies about what God has done for others, there's something in your spirit that begins to be, start stir, a stirring taking place. And all of a sudden, the things that you loved as a child, the things you loved growing up, it seems like God begins to turn your heart back to those things and you desire to pursue them. For example, if you were a singer when you were a child, if you walked around and sang all the time, later in life probably something was put in your spirit that you should be in a choir or you should be part of a praise and worship team or you should be singing for the glory of God. And when God begins to stir up those feelings, those emotions, those memories, the main thing the enemy wants to do is try to tear those memories down and convince you that you cannot do or you cannot be what God wants you to be. And so you settle into status quo where you're comfortable with your job, you're comfortable with your car, you're comfortable with your furniture, you're comfortable where you are in life. But, but every time you, you see the God, God's word, God is always pushing us and God is always enlarging our coast. God is always expanding our horizons that there are things that God wants for us that we don't even want for ourselves. And so as we begin to look at some of these passages of Scripture about getting your mind right, I want to bring to your attention two things that just recently have happened in this cinema world. Uh, one, one, one movie is up for uh, some kind of award, and it's simply entitled The Social Network. I don't want to ruin the movie for you, but in the movie... Uh, Zach and I thought his name was Whataburger. The pastor Roger told me his name was Mark Zuckerberg. Look at somebody say Mark Zuckerberg, not Mark Whataburger. Mark Zuckerberg was a freshman at Harvard, and one evening, intoxicated, he made his girlfriend angry, and she dumped him. He left that particular bar that they had been drinking angry that his girlfriend had dumped him, he made up his mind that he was going to say something mean about his girlfriend to everybody that had a computer. And Mark Zuckerberg managed to, within just a few hours, he managed to put together the thought or the theme of Facebook. How many this morning before you came to church went on Facebook? Where are you? How many sometime yesterday you touched Facebook? Sometime yesterday you touched you touch Facebook. Facebook is now worth $45 billion. Mark is the youngest billionaire on the earth. He's worth $6.5 billion. And they're, they're, they're projecting that before the year is over, that Facebook is going to go to over $100 billion in worth. And when I think about how Facebook was put together, I think of two words. Say this with me. Dumped and drunk. Dumped and drunk. Dumped by his girlfriend, and that's not what we need, Matt. We're not, we're not, we're not going to, we're not going to allow anything to, and help us. Matter of fact, I may as well establish, establish early. It is my goal for you that this year that five things happen to you, and the first thing is, is my desire that you live this year drug free. And when I talk about drugs, I talk about addictions. There are things besides narcotics. There's things besides alcohol. There's things besides that, that have bound us, that are addicted to us. I firmly believe that nicotine and caffeine is a drug just like morphine and Demerol. And I believe that if we're not careful, I know I have friends in my life that simply stopped drinking Dr. Pepper for a month and lost 15 pounds. A pastor Ronald will tell you there are seasons of my life that I, go, I back off or go without coffee. So I don't, want, I don't want to say that coffee has bound me. I want to say that I am over my emotions and my actions. Can anybody relate? My addiction now is Red Bull. I don't want to be delivered yet. 
uh, just, 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 just do one of those, oh, God, save the world prayers, and you pray for me. Don't pray that I, I don't want to be delivered yet from Red Bull. But, but there are things in our life that are addicting. And when you get those addictions out of your life, you find your mind, your mind free, your mind open, that then you begin to deal with the doubt that's in your life. And I, it's my desire this year for you to be doubt-free. And when you start walking in faith and obedience to the things of God, the Word of God, the next phase you'll find yourself in is debt-free. When you start sowing in the kingdom, God has the ability to open the doors for you and bless you in a phenomenal, sensational way. And I want to share Tommy and Chris's testimony. Last week, they got a blessing they were not expecting. The company he works for deposits money into their, their account, their payroll, every two weeks. Well, last week, they deposited $1,000 extra and gave him a year-end bonus that he didn't know that he was going to get. Now, tell me, God is faithful. God is a blessing. Monday, we were, Monday, we were at a place. How many saw my post last night? Anybody see what I posted last night? I posted last night that ironically 95% of all the sermons I write 95% of the people that take up my whole week never hear it yep. how, how many anybody see that I mean but, but the, the thing that <laughs> okay I'm, stuck, I'm, I'm in trouble now let me back off and get out of trouble as I look at as I look at, at, at Mark putting this thing together and, 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 and certainly God can use Facebook God can bless Facebook I'm, I'm reminded of a horse called Secretariat has anybody seen the movie? I don't want to ruin it for you. But the secretary, he won the triple crown. What was so ironic, again, is that this young lady received the secretariat at the flipping of a coin. Her, her dad was a, was, a, was a wealthy man. He raced horses, had some financial crunches, had to give up one of the stallions. The stallion bred two mares, and of the two mares, they both dropped colts. And of the colts, they flipped a coin, and she got the secretariat. This young lady was, was such a sharp businesswoman, such a sharp entrepreneur, that before Secretariat had even won a race, she began to, to, to stud Secretariat out at $900,000, I'm sorry, at $190,000 a pop. He had 600 girlfriends, and he generated $14 million for his owner. I mean, when you, when, you see, when you see God bring things, you say, well, was that God? I don't know. But I know that God gives us opportunity to do things like that. I know that when we're faithful and consistent over the financial, that God will allow us to walk into an era of where he blesses, where he blesses us. This, this, this Monday, uh, some, things, some things happened, some things transpired. Let me back up. About two weeks ago, a young man called me. Wrong place, wrong time, offered some girls a ride, some accusations of arrest, went to jail, called, freaking out. He took, he took probably about six hours of my life. He came, we met at Starbucks, we talked, we visited, we, we recommended some lawyers, we recommended some things to do, and then we laid hands on him and prayed for him that this would all go away. And uh, this Monday, as we were, as we were, as most Mondays were, we're robbing Peter to pay Paul. We're taking the, the tithe and offering and paying this and paying that. The, the, the mail came, and there in the mail was a check and a little note from this precious, this precious man for over $400. And I got to thinking that six, six hours into 400, that's about 80, that's about whatever that is an hour. I, and so, and so God, God blesses you in areas you least expect it. It wouldn't hurt today if you went home and laid hands on your mailbox and prophesied over your mailbox. Say, Lord, I'm believing an unexpected blessing, a dividend, uh, some kind of, some kind of, I mean, listen, you say, well, I don't have a whole lot of faith. Well, just believe God for a coupon. Just start small. Say, Lord, I'm just, I just believe you're going to give me a coupon to Bath and Beyond for 10% off. I mean, and as you, as you see your faith building, he will give you houses and land. Matter of fact, if you really stay focused on him, he will give you nations as an inheritance. Someone give the Lord a hand clap of praise. So we want to be debt free. When we start walking in a, in a drug-free, doubt-free, debt-free environment, then we can find ourselves disease-free. How many knows that God is a healer? How many knows he's the Lord that healeth you? How many knows that when stripes were taken upon the back of Jesus, Isaiah prophesied by his stripes we were healed. Peter looked back at the cross and by his stripes we were healed. Greg, it's already been paid for. There's, there's already somewhere a canceled check with your name on it, your miracle, that God wants to heal, that God wants to restore. But how many times do we remain sick because we have not, because we ask not? 
And it's the process of it's a process of trying to focus on this mind, getting this mind right. Let me look at this note I have here because I have I feel like it's a good one. The principles that God gives you will always work if you will release the principles. The principles that God gives you will always work if you will release the principles. I was very pleased to see this story uh, in a book that I'm reading by Jack Cranfield, author of Chicken Soup for the Soul. He wrote a book called Success in Life, and I recommend everyone to get it. I think, Pastor Todd, you read it. Incredible, incredible book. But in this book, Greg, have you read it? It's an incredible book. Great story. But in, in, this, in this book, he tells a story of a baby elephant caught in the, in the jungles of Africa was sold to the Ringland Brothers Circus, and they took a stout chain, and they tied the foot of that elephant to a stake, and they staked that elephant off. And then they proceeded to feed that elephant, and that, that elephant began to grow. But the whole time that elephant was a baby, it would pull against that chain and pull against that stake and couldn't pull loose. Finally, it was trained to believe that it had to stay in that circumference of that rope and that, that elephant would stay on that chain, and then the elephant became several tons, several thousand pounds, but never tried to get away because mentally that elephant was bound to that little chain that held his ankle. I think a lot of times some of us are bound by some of the mistakes and failures of yesterday, and because we failed at one time, we assume that we can't, we can't do it. But you hang around any bodybuilder, a bodybuilder will tell you that they consistently press the weight they press, and then every day they try to add a little. Can, can anybody relate? I know a guy that was a, was a Marine, and he would hold out his hand, and they would stack a silver dollar on it. And he would hold it out for five minutes. And if he held it out for five minutes, they put another silver, silver dollar on it. And as long as he could hold his hand out, they would stack silver dollars. Every five minutes, they put a silver dollar. Well, he, he held his hand out about 20 minutes and got like four silver four silver dollars. Well, I was thinking, how hard can that be? So I, I held my hand out. I, I don't know if you ever tried to hold your hands out, but about 45 seconds, I'm burnt out. See, I think sometimes it's, it's a... <laughs> so we're looking at me and say, where in the world are we going with this? I think that sometimes it's a matter of realizing if God said that we can do it, if God said that we can be it, then maybe we need to start believing God and stop believing our mom or our friends or our family that say we cannot do it. Somebody, somebody give him a hand clap of praise. In this, in this concept of, of being what God wants you to be, yesterday we were in a setting where a kid came in, very humorous story, and I'll tell you a little bit about it, but we were doing some, some texture in, in, this, in this building, and this guy was supposed to come and help us. And Brother Gary, a friend of mine, was loaning us his number one texture guy. And so we told him where we were, exit 27, Denny's meet you at 8 o'clock, and off Interstate 75. So at 8 o'clock, three or four of us were there. We're ready to go to work. We're all pumped. We're ready to texture this entire house, the roof, the ceiling, the walls. And at 8 o'clock, the guy's not there. So I picked up the phone. I've never talked to him. His name is Carlos. I picked up the phone and called him. And I said, Carlos, where are you? And he said, Lexington. I said, Carlos, you're not supposed to be in Lexington. You're supposed to be in Cleveland. He goes, well, I'm on 75. I said, well, Carlos, which way are you going on 75? He said, well, I'm going north on 75. I said, no, Carlos, get off the freeway, turn around, and get 75 south, and go, and go that direction. And so sure enough, an hour and a half later, Carlos makes it to Cleveland, Tennessee. And of course, when we got there, I told the guys, the guys, don't, don't make fun of him. Don't laugh at him. Because first thing he gets there, I said, Carlos, what? You don't know the difference between 75 south and 75 north? So I tease him. But anyway, this little, this little slim kid comes in and takes his hopper, and I mean, he just starts shooting stuff on the scene, like, and he does a wall, and we come back and knock it down. And you know what? It turned out pretty nice. You know what I told the guys? 90% of success is the moxie to start and try. Just, the, just to get out of the box. Just to say, well, well I've, never, I've never painted a car. I've never, I've never well, 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 well try, try something. Do, do something. You, to be something you've never been, you've got to do something you've never done. And I told the guys, I said, guys, I want you guys to learn this trade because this is a very good trade. And this little guy in about eight hours did all the, all the walls, all the ceilings, knocked it all down, did all the patching. And looking at him as slim, as slim, as skinny was, was you wouldn't figure that he had the ability to do that kind of job. And he made very good money doing that. And so I think, I think a lot of times we'll try something, we're disqualified, the enemy tries to stop us. I'm going to encourage you today to get out of the box. Look at somebody and say, get out of the box. Try something today you've never tried. Maybe, 
uh, uh, who knows, maybe show up for the game tonight and do a double backflip or something. The second thought that I want to leave with you and get your mind right is to see what you want and get what you see. See what you want. Albert Einstein, imagination is everything. It is the preview of life's coming attractions. Imagination is everything. John Lennon had a song entitled Imagine. And the words of the song, imagine all the people living life in peace. You may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. You know, the word of God tells us there's going to be a 1,000 reign called the millennium where the lion's going to lay down with the lamb, and it's going to be a season of peace. Imagination is a powerful, powerful thing. The Bible says that the weapons of our warfare, um, I, got some, I got some weight up here. Wow, that's a lot of weight. That's about 120 pounds. Uh, who can pick this weight up and curl it? Brad, can you do it? You got to curl it right. You can't jerk it. You got to curl like this. Okay? And then you got to bench press it like this. You got to do it right and go straight up. Okay. Brad's going to try. How many think Brad can do it? How many don't think Brad can do it? Okay, here it goes. Going to curl it. Okay, now don't don't drop it on your on your toe. Don't set it down. Alicia, if you can military press it. Okay, set it back down before there's a lawsuit. Thank you, Brad. You know what you know what I like about Brad? His attitude. I'm not I'm not I'm not afraid I'm not afraid to try it. See, if you never try anything, you'll never know if you can do it or not. Now, as Brad's pastor, my counsel to him would be to aim small and miss small. If you start light, and so you got these little things, you can put weight on the end, you can bench press it, you can do it behind your neck, you can do it with one leg over, I mean, there's all kinds, you can do it. Now, there are those that have placed themselves in a season of preparation that they started small and they've worked it up and never let never let age uh, Paul said that no man despise your never let never let age or size ever affect affect your attitude because you never know what God can do little as much if God is in it Hayden I think I think you can military press this how many things hey got his guns coming how many how many things he can do it Okay, now, I don't want anybody to encourage him. I just want to see if he can do it. 100. Okay. Twice. Thank you, Hayden. Now, we didn't do this to make Brad feel bad. We did this to motivate Brad to realize if I start small and set goals and every day add a little weight, I can, I can do this. How many can curl this? 120 pounds. I think Matt can curl it. Where's Matt? How many, how many thinks that Matt can curl it? I don't care. I don't care how he gets it up there, just as long as he makes an effort, right? And that's what it's all about—making an effort. <laughs> you got to see it to be it. Okay. Now, neither. Go on, give him a hand. Neither one of these guys. Let me tell you how this was supposed to play out, okay? Hayden wasn't supposed to be able to do it the first time. We were going to cheer him on and show you how, how cheering. But if you ever go into a gymnasium, or let me, let me back that up. A few years ago, the power team was here. And on our platform, we watched him bench 750 one time. I mean, he, he did it. He went on later to do 825. But I'll tell you what was fun was to hang around the guys during the day 
because they would get, I mean, they would literally get into each other's faces and they would scream, my mama can do better than that. She's left-handed. I mean, they would, they would, you know, they, they would, they would, te- they would tease one another. They would yell at one another. And the attitude that they had before you do the weight, you see yourself doing the weight. See, see, see what you want and get what you see. See what you want and get what you see. I want to talk to every mom in this house that has a prodigal son or daughter. If you would start seeing your son, you see the guys this morning, how they were dancing and waving and doing banners and, and weeping. Did you see that this morning? you see them praying? If you were to see your son in these altars, praise and worshipfully, that's called prophetic, that's prophetic perception. You see them doing it, and you start praising God ahead of time, and you start storing up praise, you start storing up worship. Let me tell you, sooner or later, what you begin to see, Laura, every one of those kids are going to come to this altar and kneel down and accept God. I'm telling you, but if you, can, if you can stay with it, and you can step outside the box, see, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. This is not something you do with a taser, and I had a taser here somewhere, and Paul hit it. It's not something that you do with a taser or a sword or axe. It's something that you do in your mind and in your spirit. And the word says that we have the ability to pull down strongholds and to bring into captivity. And this is where that goes. When the enemy tries to bring a hurtful thought or a hurtful memory or a hurtful pain into your life, and, and, and you begin to feel the weight of, that, of, that, of, of your brain taking on all that depression, all that discouragement. Here's what the Apostle Paul says that we are to do. We are to immediately acknowledge that thought as an enemy thought, identify the enemy and say, this thought right now is not of God. This moment is not of God. What I'm sensing right now is not of God. So in Jesus' name, I arrest this thought in Jesus' name, and I cast it down, and immediately I'm going to let a new thought, something true, something pure, something lovely, if there be any virtue or any phrase, I'm going to think on that, because when I think on that, the God of peace shows up and blesses me with peace. And it is a thought process. It's, a, it's, it's like doing something you haven't done. I'm not talking about saying, Oh, man, I wish I had a, a, a Rolex, or man, I wish I had a Beamer. I'm not, I'm not talking about polluting your confession or polluting the things of God, but I'm, I'm talking about speaking about the things that you know God wants you to have. God wants you to have joy unspeakable and full of glory. God wants you to have the peace that passes all understanding. He does not want depression or discouragement hurting you or wounding you. And let me tell you something. The enemy will use anything it can to bring you a bad report. Can I tell you what a report you received this week, no matter how bad it was, can I tell you that was just a fact? And you know that facts change. Before 1954, no one in the world had ever run a four-minute mile. No one. It had never been done. But 1954, there was a group of guys that got together that decided they could do it. And as this young man took out running, he had one, one guy run one lap with him, one guy run another lap, one guy run the third lap. That all the time they're running, this guy shouting, this guy, come on, you can do it. Keep your pace. Keep your pace. In that particular year, he ran a three-minute, 56-mile. And what was said that could never be done was done. Every year we see Olympic records broken. Every year they're, they're running faster. They're jumping farther. They're, they're, they're pole vaulting higher. Why? Because there's something on the inside of us that was born to greatness. We, want, we were not born to be a loser. We were born to be a winner in Jesus' name. And you've got to see that happening and that taking place. I want to leave a, a couple of scriptures with you that I believe the guys are going to help me. For out of the abundance of the heart, Matthew 12 and 34, do you have that? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Now watch this. What you have in your heart, where your treasure is, that's what your heart is going to tell the mouth to say. If your heart and, and listen, some people I know have mastered depression. They do it better than anybody else. And let me tell you something about what the enemy wants to do when you are clean and when you're free. The importance of not going back and, and, and using drugs or, or using narcotics are twofold. And here's one of them. If you're not careful, if in your mindset you think, okay, I'm a drug addict. Okay, I've been doing drugs for 20 years. Okay, I've lost all my kids. I've lost my family. I've lost my husband. I've lost my job. I've lost everything. I'm a drug addict. Then you start trying to serve God and be what God wants you to be. And then the enemy comes with a depressive thought. And you buy into the fact, I'm a drug addict. Guess what happens? Well, I'm a drug addict. I may as well take a drug. 
Well, I'm a drug addict, I may as well drink. Well, I'm an alcoholic, I may as well. No, if you refuse to buy into that and say, I am not a drug addict in Jesus' name, here's what the Bible says that I am, here's what God wants me to have, and in your heart, in your heart, there's a, there's a, there's a, a love you fall into love with God, with the Word, and then all of a sudden, as this Word gets in your heart, you begin to speak the things that are in your heart. Out of the, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth is going to speak. Listen, where your treasure is, I can take your checkbook, and if you'll show it to me, I can tell you where your treasure's at. I can tell you what your, I can show you what your God is. I can show you where your treasures are. Because where your treasures are, that's what you're going to speak, and that's what you're going to declare. There's a scripture I want to share with you. It's found in Proverbs 23 and 7. Somebody quote this to me. Anybody? For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Now, Hayden was confident in his, in his, in his, in his brain, in his brain, he was thinking, I can do this. So he came up and put some heart into it. It didn't hurt that there were seven or eight beautiful, attractive young ladies in the youth section watching him, cheering him on. That didn't hurt. Hello, when, when David killed Goliath, you remember what happened to the, to the congregation? All the wives begin to declare, Saul has killed his thousands, and Saul had. But all the handmaidens begin to prophesy what? David has killed his 10,000. No, he only killed one. He will later go ahead to kill 10,000. But can you imagine how good David felt? The word, the word made me virgin. How good David felt carrying the head of Goliath down the street and all the virgins declaring, David has killed his tens of thousands. You know what? That would have made me want to go out and kill Goliath's brother. He had four. He had four. That's why he took five smooth stones. He was not, listen, if you take on one demon, you're probably going to whip all four of them. So don't, don't, don't stir up any demons you can't whip. But, but, but can you imagine how David must have felt when he heard the house of Israel telling him David is killed? And you know what? He will later go ahead and fulfill that. Pastor Ron had taught us Wednesday night about a king that several hundred years before he had been born, there was a prophetic statement. His name, C-Y-R-S, is in the word of God. This young man's dad was not a godly king, but this young man had his heart turned towards God, and they brought him the scrolls, and they began to read, and lo and behold, he found his name in the scroll, and the, and the scroll said, here's what he was going to accomplish. And Hank, by seeing that, so weird to have somebody else in church by the name of Hank. But wave your hand, Hank, so I know you're at. When he, when he saw that, it gave him purpose, it gave him direction, and, it, and he fulfilled exactly what was prophesied over him 200, 300 years earlier. He, he did it. See, when you begin to read the Word of God and prophetically all the things it says over you, it gives you the courage to say, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. But listen, you've got to get your mind right. You've got to get these thoughts in your mind so you can get them in your heart. If you get them in your heart, begin to speak them with your mouth. It's scary how many of these things that God will back up. Philippians 2 and 5 said, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. What kind of mind did Christ have? Romans 12 and 1 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren. Listen, people say, well, I don't see anything wrong with smoking or, or drinking, even though the Surgeon General said it's hurting my body. Here's what Paul said. I beseech you, brethren, by the mercy of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to the Lord. The Word tells us that when a man commits adultery, he's sinning against his own body. Here, here the, the Word of God is encouraging us to be pure, to be acceptable in the sight of God, that we present ourselves. And then it says this, and be, and be you transformed by the renewing. Watch this. Be you, be you transformed by the re, Don't be conformed to the world the way the world thinks, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do we renew our mind? The Word declares this. They that sow in tears shall what? Reap in joy. How many knows that when you go through a repentive stage and you begin to weep, something miraculous begins to take place in your brain? How many have brains? Where's, how many has two brains? One's lost and the other one's out looking for it. Where's the two brain people? How many, when God passed out the brains, you thought he said train, you said I ain't riding one? Three of us, okay. Now, I don't want to hurt your feelings, but if we were to take a picture of your brain, this is what it would look like. Only your brain, not quite this yucky, I'm not going to touch it. Your brain is made up of hundreds of millions of strands, just like this. Hundreds of millions. 
and when something happens that's significant. What's the farthest back you can remember? I remember I was three years old. I remember the night my brother was born, they, they held him up through the, through the glass, and I was thinking, man, that's the ugliest baby I've ever seen him on. Three years old. I can, I can remember four years old, I, I was playing with fire and caught my shirt on fire, and she had been horrifically scarred my whole life, but my, my dad and my uncle were, were faith evangelists, and they prayed for me. But what, what can you remember? How many's been to California? You remember that? How many's got a phone number? How many, how many knows their address, your social security number? How many knows your checking account number? See, every time you memorize anything, it becomes welded, it becomes fused to that brain, the, the connection on that brain. So look here, every thought, every memory, every experience becomes welded. When you begin to repent over some of the hurtful things, some of the hurtful pains, what happens is the power of God takes that welded memory and melts it. And it runs down the brain through the tear ducts out through the eyes. That's why the word says, they that sow in tears shall reap in joy. Last Thursday night, we were all crying. Last Thursday night was a season of repentance, a season of forgiveness, a season of healing. And we dealt with stuff Thursday night. Some of us have not dealt with in a long time. And as we dealt with it, you, you, you become sensitive to things of God. You become tender things of God. Listen, when I, when I was a sinner, I could care less if Lassie lived or E.T. E. was raised from the dead. I could care less if Lassie. I didn't care if Lassie got run over by a truck. But once I got saved, I cried when Lassie got run over by the truck. I remember laying hands on the screen and saying, E.T., arise in Jesus' name. I mean, everything about you changes. Do you, are you with me? You become tender. You become compassionate. And watch this. That, that bad memory is now healed, healthy, and whole. And look, it's, it's, it's unattached. There's nothing attached to it. When you memorize John 3, 16, when you memorize Proverbs 23 and 7, when you memorize Matthew 12 and 64, all of a sudden that scripture becomes welded to your brain. And watch this. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. You can have so much of the word of God welded to your brain that you speak it, believe it's going to happen, and it takes place. Purge yourself of all the junk. Purge yourself of all the depression. Get rid of all the memories, all of the occultic or the, or the, or the things you have in your life that remind you of your failure, some bracelet some idiot gave you that broke your heart. Throw the sucker away, or better yet, sell it and buy yourself something better. Get, expunge all that stuff out of your life and let the thoughts of God fill your heart and your spirit. Say, well, I'm a loser. I'm a lousy parent. I'm a lousy dad. I'm a no, that was then. See, facts change. Facts can say, well, you're, you're going to die. Well, that's a fact. God's word says I'm healed. See, facts change. God's word never does. It will stand forevermore as the grass withereth and the flower of faith. The word of God shall never pass away. Somebody ought to give the Lord a hand up of praise for that. Do you have that scripture, Psalms 56 and 8? You'll pull that up. I'm going to conclude. This is my per personal theological opinion. Is that I believe that when you weep and when the tears fall, God is so close that he catches them. And he stores them in a bottle. And I can show you beyond a shadow of doubt in the book of Revelation that there's going to come a season that thousands are going to die and no one's going to care. And God's going to take your tears that he has stored up and he's going to pour them out so there will be a season of grief over those that have been murdered for their testimony. My this is, my, this is my, my personal opinion. I believe every time there's a aborted baby, I believe that God takes a container of tears and pours them out. I believe that our tears are used to bring forgiveness and healing in heaven. There was a big thing on Facebook this week about where do aborted babies go? Well, they go to heaven. They go to heaven. Well, will they be babies when we get there? Probably. Because there's some of us that got cheated and being a mom or a dad and we get to heaven there's that baby going to be waiting for us and all the responsibilities of being a mom and a dad are going to be right there back on us prove that I can I can show you in the word of God I, I can show you that in the word of God 
So I think that if you know that God has things for you and God has prepared you for things, start acting like it. Start acting like it. Quit, quit letting every negative thing make you want to go get stoned. Quit, quit making every bad thing make you want to fuss and gripe. Make up your mind that, that good thoughts, good things are going to come out of your mouth. And I conclude with probably one of, prob- probably my favorite story in the Bible. I have, I have taught for months on the leadership skills of Nehemiah. But I want to share something with you about Nehemiah. And I will not go back and remind you that Isaiah prophesied to Hezekiah that that generation would be, would be murdered and raped and, and, and made desolate because of Hezekiah's disobedience to God. But here's what happens. The Babylonians come to Jerusalem and they completely trash the city. They level the temple. They run a plow where the temple once was. They take most of the men and women and murder them. They pick only the finest, nicest-looking, sharpest-looking teenagers, and they change their name. And then they move them to Babylon, and they, and they give them gifts and, and, and responsibilities. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that was, not their, that was not their given names. That was their worldly names that the world tried to attach to them. Listen, if you're not careful, the world will try to attach names to you. The world will try to identify you as a loser. The world will try to identify you as divorced. The world will try to identify you as a drug addict. But I am not a loser. I am not divorced. I am not a drug addict. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. And when I found God at an altar, there was a new name written down in glory. And God took my name and engraved it in the palm of his hand. And every time God holds up his hand, he sees my, he, he sees my hand. And let me say this. If God has a wallet pitch, your picture's in it. If God has a wallet, Carol, your picture's in it. And when grandparents start showing off their pictures, come on, somebody knows where I'm going with this when God starts talking about you and God starts bragging about about you it opens a window blessings begin to pour out because God blesses those that he cares for praise the Lord and it's and it's and it's it's cool how God does that anyway to do what God wants you to do to be what God wants you to be you need some moxie you need an attitude you need to be aggressive When Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego found themselves in captivity, there was alcoholic beverages, and there was some food that was out of order that served them. They refused to eat. The Lord came to them and said, what are you guys doing? And Daniel said, test us for 10 days. Let us us do vegetables and water. And at the end of 10 days, test our physical strength, test our awareness, our alertness, and see where we stand. If we're not better, then we'll eat your meat, we'll drink, we'll drink your wine. And so at the end of 10 days, when they were tested, guess what God's word said they were, angel? 10 times better than the other lads of the land. Listen, if you're going to be 10 times better than everything else, you need to act like it. I'm not talking about arrogant, I'm talking about cocky. There's a difference. I am not arrogant, I am cocky. I am confident. I have, I have, I have hung 10. I know it's like to go on the end of a board 10-foot wave and stick your, your toes off and dare a shark to bite you. I mean, there's a difference. There's a difference when, when you, there's an attitude that I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. Start acting like it. Get the frown off your face. Get the scowl. Get the loser mentality. Get the, you know, do you know what Jim Carrey did the first year he was in Hollywood? He was a nobody. You know what he did? He wrote himself out a check for a million dollars. That's how much confidence he had. He said, people need me. People, he would go up in the holiday, you know where the sign's at, the Hollywood sign's at? He would go sit in the shade of that sign, and he would say, you need me. He would, and he would declare to Hollywood, you need me. I'm going to be a part of you. Oh, yeah. I mean, Jim Carrey, how crazy he is. And, and I know I'm talking about a, a worldly guy, but he believed in himself. He really believed he could do it. Esther believed that she could be the wife of the king or she wouldn't have gone through one year of preparation. you got to believe what God is saying over you. Courtney and I cashed his check this week. The guy's name was Danny Brown. And I looked at him. I said, I said you sound like a baseball player or the owner of a bank. you got to be with me to know I really get out there sometimes. And the guy looks at me. I promise you, and Courtney will tell you, the guy looks at me and says, my grandmother used to speak things like that over me. I said, what of things are not say them as they shall be? He said, yeah. I said, Danny, you, you'll one day own this bank. You stay where you're at. You stay doing it. You will own this bank. I, I believe that Pastor Jason could own Magic Chef. 
I mean, I mean, would, would it be scary if two or three of you just, just reached out and, and just pushed a little extra? I mean, I mean, Calvin invent something nobody else has invented. Do something nobody else has done. You, well, look at Redbox. Look at Netflix. Look at, look at, look at, look at uh, Mapster. I mean, I mean, somebody was sitting around, thought that up, made it happen, made it work out, and now they're, now they're, they're million. And it's not all about being millionaires and billionaires, but it would sure make my job easier. <laughs> Come on. I think Frazier can be the best salesman for Epperson this year. I believe he can tie 30% instead of five. How many believes that? You believe it? Listen, if you want the great things of God, make great commitments. What, is, what, what did the uncle tell Spider-Man? With great power comes great responsibility. Be responsible for all this that God has given you. And let me clue, conclude with Nehemiah. Nehemiah was the taster to the king. Now, you've got to remember, most kings in those days were assassinated by poison. And so Nehemiah, before the king ate anything or drank anything, Nehemiah tasted. I mean, it sounds like a pretty cool job to me. Okay, you're cooking for a king, and they bring you the king's meal, and you eat a little. It sounds like a pretty good job to me. And he was a great employee. But one day he asked about how things were going in Jerusalem. He got a bad report. He fasted, he prayed, and he stood before his king, and he allowed his king to see him unhappy. And the king said, Nehemiah, what? You have never been unhappy. You are always Mr. Positive. You are always, what's going on? Nehemiah took a deep breath and shared with the king what was going on in his homeland. And the very nation that destroyed Israel paid millions of dollars, the cedars of Lebanon, all the labor, all the soldiers, to rebuild the very thing that they had destroyed. I mean, how cool, how cool is that? Some of us need that Nehemiah attitude, that Nehemiah anointing. God has placed you in positions of favor, not to give you all the toys you want, all the, all the, all the gold you want, and not be able to share, but to be able to make a significant difference in someone's life. Somebody give the Lord a hand clap and praise, and we'll conclude this thing. You say, well, I have, I have no one to help me. We've taken one of the classrooms. And we're going to put a Bowflex. We got one of those. What do we got? That Chuck Norris thing. Yeah, the total gym. And, and I'll, I'll tell you if, if you, think you, if you think you can do it, go back there and give it a whack or two. You'll realize it's a little harder than they make it appear on. I mean, he just, man, he just. He just uh, anything worth having is worth making an effort and pursuing. Father, we thank you for the altar service this morning. We thank you for the. For the anointing, the favor, the blessing. We thank you for the anointing, the praise and worship team. We thank you, Lord, for what you brought together for us. Last Wednesday, we realized that we're a piece of the puzzle, that we aren't supposed to fit in, we're supposed to fit together. That each one of us have a significant part to bless one another, to encourage one another, to strengthen one another, to finance one another. Father, we leave this place with our eyes wide open. We leave this place watching for things that you want us to have, declaring them and then doing the homework, doing the, doing the effort to make those things happen. Let tonight be a night of ministry where those that have never been to our church sees our church in a completely different vein, a vein of fun, of family, of friendship, a vein of, a vein of, of laughing and, and, and godly, good godly competition. That Lord, tonight there will be no marijuana smoke in the bathroom, there will be no empty beer cans in the dumpster, that they will see that we don't need drugs and alcohol to get high. We don't need drugs and alcohol to have a good time, to have fam family time, and to eat. But that you have put your anointing in us, and we walk in that. And they all said, Amen. Amen.